This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Welcome back, sci-fi fans, to another episode of the Science Fictionary Podcast from thesciencefictionary.com. I'm Andrew. I'm here tonight with Marisha. Hey, everybody. And our very special guest tonight, Jessica. Hello. And, uh, all right, guys, uh, a Backyard TARDIS, this one's for you. We're finally, finally going to talk Stargate. Stargate, yes. Uh, but before we get started on Stargate, Jessica has started her very own podcast, and we wanted to give her a minute to tell us all about that. Well, thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. Um, yes, recently started a podcast. Um, originally I was on Twitter as, um, well, people knew me as, uh, the Duchess of Teen. Uh, it was, it started out as a, a celebratory fan account and then later just kind of morphed into general yelling about my love of Star Wars. Uh, and people said, you should start a podcast. And so, um, just in the last couple of weeks, a friend and I got together and started a podcast all about Star Wars and storytelling. So um, both of us really like to talk kind of more in depth the way that stories are told in Star Wars, what's effective, what we keep coming back to. So uh, the podcast is called Stories by Dark Sable Light. And uh, you can now find the official podcast on Twitter at, at Dark Sable Light. And uh, we're on Spotify and Anchor and a couple of other listening platforms. So feel free to check us out if that's something that you'd be interested in. Awesome. I actually haven't listened yet. I have like, I've sort of been like in a social media hole for like a couple of weeks now because I just couldn't even anymore. And so like, I don't know what anybody's doing. I don't know what anybody's put out. So I'm definitely excited to get on and listen because we talk a lot about, you know, just kind of stories and structure and like what makes what makes a good story, what's compelling, you know, what's resonant, what's timeless. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to, to hear what y'all have to say. Yeah, definitely. We're just going to kind of dive into Stargate, and obviously it's an hour-long podcast, and we can't talk about everything Stargate in an hour. Uh, there are entire podcasts dedicated to doing this every single week. But we did want to take a minute and step aside, talk about some of our favorite moments, some of our favorite characters, um, and, and just appreciation for the series. I, I mean, I, I personally, and I, I think I probably say this more than anybody wants to hear on our show is that it's time for the world to have another Stargate series. Yes. We need more Stargate. I follow a couple of Twitter accounts and that's like their mantra. (laughs) Give us more Stargate. Yeah. Um, So in this, in the era of reboot where everything has a solution and we have not gotten Stargate yet. Yes. But keep hoping. Yeah, well, there are a lot of really sound rumors that Brad Wright is working on something. So that's it, what I'm here. We'll see. Uh, there's a lot of, and it really, yeah, it sounds it sounds like it's happening. It sounds like it's becoming more real by the by the week um, that he's he's coming out and saying a little bit more here and there. And now that the um, Dean Devlin 
sequel movies are officially dead. Again. Again. <laughs> though, then I think TV might come back. Now, if it comes back, I don't know where. I mean, he's talking about shopping it, and so it's more likely to end up on a streaming service than anywhere else. So I kind of have mixed feelings about that. But the upside to streaming service means bigger budget. Yeah, but streaming services have downsides too, like <laughs> unlimited nudity. We don't want unlimited nudity in here's Stargate. The thing. Here's the, well, here's the thing. If it's made, it's going to be Brad Wright. Mm-hmm. He's going to bring some of the original guys back on. And one of the, and knowing that one of the things they learned very quickly, because they went back and did a master cut of the pilot and took the nudity out. Yeah. Because you have to remember, it started off on Showtime. And they kind of went for that audience and then all of a sudden went, maybe that's not our audience. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think that I I don't have too much of a concern if they bring it back. I think that the the edginess of Stargate Universe really turned people off in a way yeah. that uh, you know people said it really isn't what we want. Uh, I think very much like Star Wars, yeah. Stargate is a franchise that is known to be generally family friendly, and nobody really looks down on that. I, I really appreciate that, and I think that. You know, just just like Star Wars, I think that it really thrives at that PG into PG thirteen rating yeah. area. It does not have to go. <laughs> it does not have to be a mature show. So right. I think that with Brad Wright, Malazzi, they they know this stuff. They know what went wrong, and I think that they know generally what people are looking for uh, if they're bringing it back. Yeah, and that's a good point. Um, about universe because I mean, man, that first episode, we were so excited. In fact, the first episode of universe came out the night I went into labor with the first baby. You went into labor about five minutes into the show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, Andrew was so unhappy, but then of course we got home and we had it, we had TiVo'd it and we watched it and we were like, Oh, we didn't miss much. But I think even Universe was an example of, I think that by the season, by season two, they realized they had gone a little too far and kind of pulled it back a little bit. Yeah, but it was too late. Yeah. Well, the, the problem that I see, and actually, if you do listen to the podcast, um, my co-host, Arika Jade, and I just talked about this specifically in terms of The Mandalorian. Um, but I think that what happened with Universe was that after... 15 seasons of a show that ran from the late 90s through the 20, you know, through 2010 or so, storytelling had changed. And the show was very much modeled on the storytelling of sci-fi shows from the 1990s. Mm-hmm. X-Files, Star Trek, episodic TV shows that, you know, it's a planet of the week, monster of the week type mm-hmm. thing. And then there's an overarching story that goes beyond that. And for general television, that mode of storytelling had fallen by the wayside. People right. wanted Battlestar Galactica. People wanted, well, you know, now we have, you know, Game of Thrones type style right. shows where especially with the rise of streaming and with the way even today how Netflix will drop an entire season at once, the, the mode of storytelling is now to make you know, a nine hour long movie that has almost arbitrary episodes, you know, breaking it up. Right. right. And so I think that when you, 
they wanted to do that. They wanted to be Battlestar Galactica because they did think that that this is the way that general TV shows are telling stories now. And the problem was that it just didn't feel like Stargate for people. And I totally understand that, but I also understand why they tried to mm-hmm. have the show evolve that way. Yeah, I mean, Battlestar was extremely successful for them. and uh, But it all kind of died out. I mean, the sci-fi channel itself was changing drastically during that period of time. Wrestling had become a one of their biggest things. It, it was becoming less sci-fi and just more general pop culture. I think now sci-fi has not done real well, but I think they've actually kind of gone back, not necessarily with their TV shows, but with their with their movies, doing just, even being willing to do goofy, weird sci-fi films like the Sharknado movies. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but I, I think that a lot of that was just that NBC... I believe it was NBC that owns, owned Sci-Fi, correct? Yeah. I that sounds so. right, yeah. Um, it's not CBS because it's not on the Peacock. Right. Yeah, they just, I mean, the people that were running it at the time just really didn't know what to do with the channel. And they had huge success with Battlestar and they tried to copy it. And Stargate fans were just not looking for that. There was also the added factor that people were angry at what was seen as the premature cancellation of Atlantis. Exactly. And that did not help. Yeah. That's exactly what was on the tip of my tongue. I was like, and then there was that. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, you're talking about something. I mean, I assume you've seen the movie. The the original. Yeah. So like, I mean, how do you feel about, right. How do you feel about the movie compared to the series? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I got in, so I, I got into the series, um, you know, I, I, when I, well, I was in, I was in high school, Atlantis was uh, premiering its fourth season, I think. So, I mean, I came in late re- in return in, mm-hmm. in regards to the overarching saga of the series. I had most things already at my disposal. So I knew that the, the movie went right into the TV show. Um, I watched the movie. And I also, I watched a lot of things out of order. So eventually I went back to the movie. Um, And what I came away with was, this is a great premise for a television show. Mm -hmm. I feel it as a movie, you know, and I I know that um, Devlin, he had his his trilogy that he wanted to make. I'm very grateful that it didn't happen because I didn't like the idea of rebooting 17 seasons of canon. But... um, I, I love that initial movie, and I look at that, and I'm like, what a great premise. What a great two-hour movie that had such wonderful world-building mm-hmm. to have it immediately, you know, you know to, to flesh it out. That's what you needed. That's what that movie absolutely needed. Yep. And I think you're right. I think it was, it's like, it, it's. I don't. It didn't do real well, did it? When it came out, Andrew, you're probably no. Gonna... It was just. Um, it, it just kind of went by unnoticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one that people started picking up later, and it became a a huge cult. It's one sci-fi that movie. people came back and watched, probably because of the show. You know, which is kind of ironic yep. because Devlin really, I think, dislikes the shows because they, you know, mess with his thing. But it's like without the show, like no one would even remember that this movie had even happened. 
Well, that's the irony of the whole situation that he tried to come back and get the the sequels green lighted, right? Because mm-hmm. the only reason it was stuck in people's minds was because it had been running for seventeen seasons, right? And I just thought I I, I was very very upset when I heard that mm-hmm. that was where they were going trying to take it because it just felt like such a slap in the face to everybody who had made the franchise successful to say, okay, we're going back and we're just going to kind of ignore that. But uh, the success of the original movie is not the reason why they were looking to reboot that film. Right. Yeah. I I would say that like, I agree with you completely. The, the film is a wonderful premise and I like the movie. I enjoy the movie for what it is, but the series really does surpass it in every way. And a lot of people, it, it's kind of, and, and Marisha, when I first had Marisha watch Stargate, when she first watched, she came back and was like, well, that's right out of Star Trek, the original series. And they do do a lot of homages to things like Star Trek um, and a lot of other things, really. it's But it's not one of these shows that's just a Star Trek ripoff. It is, it's very on thing with its own set of wonderful world building, its own set of wonderful characters who are very different in a lot of ways than your Star Trek characters. It uses a lot of the same themes, but it, it just recontextualizes them. Right. You just change the context, you know, of kind of what's happening in the world. For yeah. me, the biggest thing, for me, the biggest thing was that it was set in the present. It yes. was set in our world with people who could be living next door to you. And that was really important to me. I I wasn't really a sci-fi fan before I found Stargate. And I still refer to Stargate as sci-fi for the person who doesn't really like sci-fi. Because it's got a premise that doesn't take you into... like There, there really aren't tons and tons of you know, weird, crazy aliens, especially at the beginning, right. because it's a premise that builds on history that says humans are, the, you know, the, the reason why all aliens in Star Trek look alike, you know, kind of riffing on that, is that they were taken from Earth, you know, that kind right. of res- responding to that. I, I thought that that was an ingenious way to really keep humans and Earth and the present in the center of this really great and and fantastical sci-fi premise mm-hmm. but the fact the magic of stargate is the fact that what you see in the show could really be happening in real life and they acknowledge that in the show that's my i don't know that's that's yes. always what really drew it yeah definitely and well the other fun thing about stargate is like Yes, the premise of like aliens come and like are are the sort of movers and shakers between behind ancient history. It's like it's really out there, but there are certainly like people who believe that. Like it's not, it is far fetched, but it's definitely based in some people who believe that they have really good evidence for believing that this kind of crazy. Like Daniel Jackson, there are lots of Daniel Jacksons out there. You know, and there are that that doesn't make it any less fantastical, but it also does give it some grounding. It's like this is the far past is so obscure. I mean, if if you're just like, hey, how did you know, how did 
life come to evolve the way it did? You know, why did cultures evolve the way they do? This is as good of an explanation as any, <laughs> you know, it, um, that's right from that first scene where we see Daniel Jackson in the film, him lecturing to his, his peers, his academic peers. Mm-hmm. I'm trained as a historian. And okay. so to, to see that, I, I love the premise of him standing in front of his, his peers and presenting this theory. And what actually is funny is that from an academic um, perspective, I really like that film because he's not actually saying aliens built the pyramids. He's saying, we don't know. He's saying the theories that we're working under right now don't have a basis in fact. And it actually makes me really angry in the film where the one, the, the other historian says, well, who did build them? And he says, we don't know who built them. And they, they all get upset. Mm-hmm. From my position, Daniel's actually doing his job. The burden of proof is not on him to say right. who built the pyramids, just to say that what we know, what, what, what we think we know is not true. Right. And so I, I love that right from the start, that there's actually kind of a basis here of, you know, just kind of reevaluating the, the theories that we've always worked under and saying, it, it doesn't look like things are matching up. Well, what what is the answer instead? And Daniel quickly gets his the answer to his question, which he was actually right about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's one of the really just fun things is that it's, it's so plausible in spite of exactly. its, its weirdness. It's, it's, it's like, well, I mean that it, from a certain point of view, it definitely tracks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, all that, I and mean, we even watched an episode in season five last night, the episode where Daniel's professor dies mm-hmm. and he has to go back and kind of deal with that. And the, the people that were disappointed in the route he took with his career. Right. And it, again, it reiterates, like, his premise wasn't that aliens built the pyramids. His premise was that Egyptian civilization was much older, that all of this stuff was much yep. older than, than we believed, which, I mean, it's all pre-written history. So, you know, we learn new things all the time. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a fun exercise in what if, for sure. Right. Um, I think another piece of genius of this show is that they really put together a fantastic cast um, in, in doing this show. And, and, I mean, some of them were were relatively unknown, but bringing in Richard Dean Anderson to carry the show, um, even Adonis Davis, who was still a big name, uh, as General Hammond and, um, you know, Christopher Judge, Amanda Tapping, Michael Shanks weren't big names, but, you know, all sci-fi fans know those names now. And mm-hmm. they did such a good job. And, wow. and even Amanda Tapping is one where, you know, people like to talk about strong women in fiction on TV, movies, and she's not a name that gets mentioned enough. That's true. Um, for for her character in this show, who is... And it's it's... She just is. She is that strong character, and we didn't need her to tell us that she is. She just is. Yeah. She doesn't have to come out and make assertions about, you don't talk to me that way. You don't get to... I am... You know, we never get like any... And that's personally something I always appreciate, is I feel like it's lazy storytelling to come out and be like, I am woman. I am just as capable. I am just... It's like, just shut up and show us. (laughs) 
you know, and so I feel like, no, and I think she does um, that very well. And I think that we definitely have Amanda Tapping to thank for that because the one time that we do do that is the pilot where in that first room scene, she's got that really, really awkward line about reproductive organs, which they took out of the remastered version. And that, and part of that is because Amanda, you know, she did the scene. She was an unknown actress. You come in for pilot season, you got to do it. And then once the show got picked up and she was retained on the cast, she went to the writers and said, women don't talk like this. Mm-hmm. Just let me be one of the guys. I will make this character strong and feminine and, um, you know, intelligent and the force to be reckoned with. And then they, they did. They, mm-hmm. I mean, season one had, they were still finding their feet, but I, like you said, like she is a fantastic character who just does not get mentioned enough when it comes to strong female characters in sci-fi. I feel like, in fact, we heard um, Gates McFadden talk at at DragonCon a couple of years ago, and she talked about how they, like, initially pitched her, and they're like, oh, and, you know, she's going to be, like, a big deal, like a main character, and, like, not just a love interest, and, you know, and, but she kept getting kind of shoehorned into these roles, and it's like, oh, and she's a love interest, and oh, she's like, you know, you know, just sort of really stereotypical female things. Um, and just her frustration with that over the course of um, the next generation, that that's sort of like this revolving conversation she was always having with the writers. Um, and I feel like they finally, you know, they finally managed to sci-fi finally hit a stride there with, with Stargate um, and, and, uh, and the character of Captain Carter in really having a character where there wasn't a whole lot of conflict. She wasn't constantly getting, you know, sidelined into, you know, being a nurse or, you know, doing whatever stereotypically feminine things that, that male writers think that women should always be doing. Uh, So yeah, definitely a great, um, a great character. And, and, and the the dynamics were always so good, you know, between all the characters. You know, you have you got the scientists, and then you've got you know sort of the the archaeologist, you know. So he's sort of like you know the the humanity right going. So you've got the the dynamics were always very good, right? Um, well, they did a good job of carrying that dynamic between Daniel Jackson and Sam Carter, and, no, and uh, Jack. Oh, yeah. over from the movie because that was right. the dynamic in the movie was it was. The soldier's way of looking at things, mm-hmm. and and the, you know the the anthropologist's way of looking at things. The guy that's looking at the humanity of the situation and is filtering everything through all of this historical knowledge, and the guy that's just doing his job and he's going to do it at whatever cost. Right. And they did a really good job of. They, they did. That's another thing they did that they carried over from the movie, but did better in the TV show. I also really liked that when they set up this cast, I just think that, that the four people that they put on this team, it's just perfect. It's really good storytelling because you have four characters, each of whom have vastly different outlooks, Mm -hmm. but then like you, like you say, they've kind of got different dynamics together. There are the times when, you know, we've got, Jack, who's the, the leader, he's he's got that soldier mindset, but then you've also got Teal, who, who's got the soldier mi- mentality, but he's he's the alien. He, you know, we're getting the alien cultures from his perspective. 
you've got Daniel, who's the humanitarian and the anthropologist, and then you've got Sam, who's, you know, a leader in her field, In you know, she's, she's our tech, she's our science whiz. And I love that they brought all of those characters together, and they, they all have their contributions to make. But then there are reasons why I always loved when they would not, not pit the characters against each other, but there would be reasons why, um, you know, there would be times when Sam agrees with Daniel and they kind of come off as kind of like the science twins. <laughs> then you've got the times when, when um, you know, well, you know, like, you know, Jack and Teal are often the, the protectors, the ones who want to take, I'm thinking specifically of the episode in season four entity, which is the one where Sam gets taken over by the computer entity, which is a real favorite of mine. And the fact that in that episode, Sam and Daniel are really the ones who, you know, let's talk to it. Let's talk to it. Let's figure right. out what it wants. Right. And Jack and Teal are like very much. Nope. This is dangerous. Let's shoot we it. Let's burn it. Let's, yeah. <laughs> yep. But I, but, and then what I love is that that comes back to bite Sam when, you know, it's, she, she does take the fall for that mentality. And there's the moment where, where, Daniel looks at Jack and he basically says, well, he, he, he says, um, are you saying that if we had listened to you, this wouldn't have happened? And Jack's like, pretty much like, yeah, I, you know, kind of a, I told you so look. Yeah. And Daniel says, no matter what happens, Sam wasn't wrong for wanting to try to communicate with it. And that's where I went. Oh, it's so cool to have these four mm-hmm. characters who have such different outlooks and they deal with the fallout and the pros and cons of those outlooks, but they're always a team together, and they bring different and unique contributions to that team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, and I think a lot of times, especially in sci-fi, they like to be like, and here's the right way to look at things. You know, they kind of like serve it up for you, like, this is your opinion, you know, you, you, you know, going in like and the the right person, you know, the person who's right wins. And the thing is, in real life, sometimes the compassionate, you know, sometimes compassion doesn't land you in the best spot. Sometimes, you know, preemptive strikes, there, there's a reason that, that they exist, because sometimes things are dangerous, but sometimes you know, going in guns blazing is going to land you in a world of hurt. And sometimes you need to actually, you know, have some compassion and have some heart. And, but there's no like one size fits all solution. Like you never know going into an episode, like you, you always feel like Daniel's probably right in like an ethical sense, but he may not be right in a, this is actually going to work in the real world kind of sense. And so that's always kind of a, a fun dynamic because you never really know which worldview kind of wins this week. Yeah, because they do Definitely. do. Time, yeah. There are times where the military mindset turns out to be the right, that Jack has a hunch mm-hmm. and he's right. And, you know, it, it's this, you know, he's he's trained to act on instinct and sometimes he's, sometimes the others are missing something because they're they're trying to see something that's not there. And, mm-hmm. He's willing to look at what's in front of him and in, in, in the evidence, but yeah. um, but again, the it's a it's a fantastic cast. But of course, as we moved into the series, once we got on in here, we started having some some revolving doors with with cast. 
Right. What, what did y'all think about some of the changes that were made to the cast in later seasons? Okay, so um, is it Wormhole Extreme whenever Marty comes back? Oh, no, no. It's the guy who's, who's like, connected to Jack through, like, the telepathic ancient communication stones. And so he comes oh, in. Jack. Um, is that, is that what his name was? I, I can't remember. I have, we haven't gotten back. We've been watching them with the kids. And we haven't gotten back to that episode yet, but he comes in and he's like, Oh, you know, like, and he's sort of like recapping how fans felt about, you know, all the, the, the changes in Star Trek or Stargate rather. And, you know, like we, we like Jonas fine, but we were so glad whenever, uh, whenever Daniel came back, you know, and I think that that was pretty much, uh, very self-aware of them because, definitely that's definitely was was my feelings on things um i mean and, and ben bowder and and claudia claudia what's her gray. name claudia, claudia gray, gray. Um, claudia, yeah claudia, claudia, claudia gray is a star claudia. wars writer there we go <laughs> i mix them they're, they're similar yes claudia black um i mean they were fine i but no substitute for a jack if you're asking me <laughs> Uh, I feel like kind yeah, of the golden years, you know, where that yeah, original cast. I mean, cast. for me, the, the prime of the show was really seasons one through eight. Um, I really loved Jonas. Again, I'm coming at it from somebody who already had everything at my disposal when I started watching it. Mm -hmm. So I knew that Jonas was for a season and then Daniel came back. Um, and so I didn't have the vitriol that people had originally when um, that change was made. Mm -hmm. um, I think that season six is unique, and I love what Jonas brings. Um, I love Daniel as well, but um, you know they are very similar as characters. So a lot of people will be like, "Well, why didn't they just keep both of them?" It's like, no. I mean, they both fulfill that that anthropologist role. Right. Um, they didn't need two of those characters. I would have loved to see him return more as a guest character throughout the seasons you know there's there's really no mention of him after mm -hmm. i mean he just his one guest appearance in season seven which is i i thought kind of sad because the only mention that we get is the fact that the ori attacked his home world and uh yeah. we don't even really know what happened there uh, but um, yes, the i think that oh uh, yes yeah <laughs> no i think that those two seasons it's like they're there and they're fine but for me seasons one through eight with like the way it was ended, I just thought that that was a beautifully written show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's my that's the Stargate for me. Yeah, there were things I like about the later seasons when we get more into the development of um, Earth's Starfleet. There, you know, they're Earth based starships. You just um, like you just like the ships. I like ships. Andrew likes ships. He's like, oh, they're <laughs> ships. This is my new favorite season. So I, I do like some of that. That we got the payoff for all of the. Mm -hmm. The long buildup to Earth becoming a spacefaring race. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, really, those first eight seasons are, that's the big block. And I think beyond that, Atlantis really takes over as the, in most people's eyes, as the primary Stargate TV show. Mm -hmm. It's successor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hey, I, I like the ships, too. I like that, I mean... <laughs> Again, what drew me to Stargate was the fact that it wasn't Star Trek, that right. it was our our world with our technology and 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 all of that. But I liked that 
throughout the seasons, we naturally got more and more alien technology. So we were able to become more Star Trekky with the, the ships and the transporters and all of these things. But it never felt like it was being forced on us. It never felt right. like it stopped being Stargate because mm-hmm. that, that progression happened so gradually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like of all of, so, so far we pretty much only talked SG one. So we'll just stick with SG one for now. So what was your favorite story arc in SG one? So, you know, I feel like for me, um, I don't identify it quite as much by story arcs as I do by different periods. I think that season seven and eight had some wonderful two-part episodes and then three-part episodes that were, I mean, just just the pinnacle of the show for me. Heroes, Lost City, New Order, and then Reckoning and Threads. Those, like, those episodes, I just thought were such great storytelling, such great character interactions, um, that I just thought that each one of those were worthy of being a movie in and of themselves. Um, I just, I don't know, I just really loved the way that everything was wrapped up. You know, we were in the middle of this war, we've got the ghoul, we've got the replicators, and those last two seasons really just had a wonderful build-up and then resolution to mm-hmm. those storylines that, um, like, those are the ones that are near and dear to my heart. Awesome. What about you, you have, Marisha? What about me? Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to ask me. <laughs> um, you know, I think that some of the things that they did um, with the replicators, you know, especially as they sort of gain some degree of sentience. Um, I think some of the things that it kind of delves into as, you know, and it's kind of the classic sci-fi conundrum of when does artificial life count? You know, when, when does it deserve the same respect that we give other sentient life? Um, and so I think that they really, uh, was, is it five? The, the character that, that's, that Sam, you know, kind of, uh, has an attachment to and you know I feel I really feel like sort of the that story surrounding that was really some some really excellent compelling uh storytelling and a little, little heartbreaking too yeah I, yeah I like I like those characters yeah there's a lot of stuff I mean <clears throat> for a show that is primarily sci-fi it's a military sci-fi show there are some real like punch in the gut episodes Mm-hmm. Uh, of this show, um, but I um, poor Daniel. Like after all that, well, they kill everybody. Daniel loves they like poor Daniel. Jeez, I mean, he, in fact, I think one of the kids commented on that that recently. They were like, everybody he loves turns into a ghoul. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> um, yeah, Daniel's the one. I love all of his his uh, girlfriends. His girlfriend's wife. Uh, his, his girlfriend, or sorry, his his ex girlfriend, his wife, and Sam all get taken over by Goa'uld. Wolves. Sam's the one who gets possessed all the time. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it, Daniel's got his own issues with dying. <laughs> right. Bless him. It kind of felt like they, yeah, they, it kind of felt like they uh, 
had some uh, tropes that they liked for certain characters and they revisited them a couple times. They're like, ooh, let's put Daniel back in the sarcophagus. Uh, it's like, since I guess since they did the sarcophagus thing in the movie, they were like, okay, from now on, this is Daniel's thing. He dies, and then we manage to drum up a sarcophagus just for this one episode that has got to be destroyed because it, it, it's, you know, too much of a MacGuffin. But we got to pull it up every once in a while. Kill off Daniel, sarcophagus him, and then bring him back to life. <laughs> so how about you, babe? What's your favorite? Um, I think some of my, f- or one of my favorite episodes or, or, or pieces, kind of, it's a really important piece of the puzzle is, and I'm totally blanking on the name of the episode, is the episode where Jack, uh, downloads the entire uh, repository of ancient knowledge mm-hmm. and slowly, you know, it's it's too much. It's slowly killing him. He ends up having to go to the Asgard. Right. Uh, Get it undownloaded. But that's a... There are a number of episodes where Richard Dean Anderson really gets to show off his acting chops. And that's one of them, and I, and I really, really enjoy that episode. Yeah. Um, I like pretty much anything that's got anything to do with the Asgard. Uh, I've always, especially the the early ones where they're kind of finding out that there's this race out there. Right. Um, and But they don't, you know, before they know really anything about mm-hmm. them. Thor's hammer and <clears throat> right. all that. that. That is a pretty interesting kind of series that they have. Before they actually meet the Asgard, they sort of keep running into these, you know, mementos left behind you know different things so yeah that's always that's always interesting yeah now the ancients like eventually like some stories it's like they they like took them long enough and it's like and now it's weird like i feel like they did that with the ancients at some point like with you know daniel and the amadasala and the ancients it's like at some point it's like okay now see now it got weird (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that stuff never bothered me it never bothered you mm. we've talked a lot about stargate sg1 let's talk a minute about stargate atlantis and and how they built on the success of sg1 um, a lot of times spinoff shows don't really they just don't really work because somebody tries to duplicate it and they just can't quite figure out what it was that made the original work mm-hmm. what was it that made stargate atlantis work so well Um, I mean, I guess I really like the fact that they they took what worked for the storytelling of SG-1, namely throwing these characters into this, you know, the, you know, having a team, throwing them into, again, different planets. They're, they kept that method of episodic storytelling where they're dealing with issues, um, you know, wrapping them up pretty much in a single episode, but then they've still got these... these um, overarching bad guys. Mm-hmm. You know, in right. SG-1, we had the cool, and we added the replicators, but those those villains, they were always there, it's just that they weren't constantly the problem. And mm-hmm. so I really liked that they just, they kept that same method of Planet of the Week storytelling, where they go and they fix an issue on a planet, maybe they, you know, maybe something that they achieve will help in the grand scheme of things. But I like that they kept that similar, but the difference was that they were able to go a little bit crazier with the world building mm-hmm. because they were completely in a different galaxy. Mm-hmm. Nothing was going to look the same. 
history was going to look different. It wasn't going to be, you know, the cultures that they were encountering wasn't going to be rooted in ancient earth history. So they changed enough of the context, but kept the premise similar so that they really retained the audience that enjoyed SG-1, mm-hmm. which then, of course, made universe even more jarring because we had just right. seen two iterations right. of the same storytelling right. um, that done very successfully. Mm-hmm. And I think they also managed to sort of change the the kind of core group enough that it w- didn't feel like a riff. You know, it's not it, it wasn't exactly like and this person is the Jack and this person is the Sam, but they still had really similar dynamics. You know, I mean, if you're going to act like Jack Shepard isn't very Jack-esque, Jack esque, Shepard. Uh not Jack Shepard. John Shepard. John Shepard. Jeez. It's it's been a day. Um, yeah, so I mean he's very he has that same corner that swagger and that attitude. And of course then you've got, you know, Jason Momoa, you know, as like the, the resident alien, you know, who likes to break things. Um and then of course I one of my favorite things about Atlantis was um, Rodney McKay. He was just so delightful, delightfully insufferable. <laughs> he was like, you know, he just always was just always there just being obnoxious, but you had to have him because like, he's so smart. Um, so yeah, he was just, he was lots of fun. I always enjoyed having him around. I, 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 I always liked the fact that he was included as a main character. And again, I didn't come in when I, I came in after Atlantis had already done, gone four seasons, but I wish I had been around, or maybe I don't, maybe I don't wish that I had been around when it was announced that Rodney McKay, this insufferable man who was in three episodes of SG one and was just generally a jerk mm-hmm. was going to be part of the main cast of this show. And you expect us to like him. Right. And, but then, I mean, that. I think that that was, again, that was genius mm-hmm. because SG-1, for all that I love it, didn't spend a lot of time on character development. There there aren't a ton of episodes where we see the, the team um, interacting personally, you know, um, downtime, things like that. They don't, and they don't really change. We'll get we'll get glimpses of things. We get like things like Grace, the episode where Sam's, um, you know, knocked out and stranded on a spaceship, where it's revealed like she's got some real big trust issues. She's got some issues with her mother. She's got issues related to, um, you know, her romantic life and things like that. And I've always thought like these are really important moments, but we really have to extrapolate a lot of character development from one or two episodes. Yeah. Rodney, though, he, they started with this character who was generally insuffer- insufferable. And, gosh, by season five, when you get episodes like The Shrine, oh, the, you know, the, the humanity and the, you know, the, the progression, just you see how beloved this character has become by the people around him and just how much he's changed as a character. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that that was the strongest points of Atlantis. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, he kind of did the, you know, always think about, when you talk about creating insufferable characters and then trying to make people like them, I mean, the 
the classic version of that is when Stan Lee wrote Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Because Stan Lee was told, was asked to write a character that nobody should like and make everybody love him. And, you know, and that's kind of what they did with with Rodney. It's like, man, he's just not likable. But as you go, I mean, in a lot of ways, he's kind of the heart of a lot of those episodes. And, Mm -hmm. um, And, and, And he has that same... It's, it's different, but he has that same sort of back and forth with Beckett. Like, Jack and Daniel always kind of have a conflict about how to look at things. And I feel like Rodney and, uh, and Beckett have that sort of dynamic in a lot of ways because Rodney is like pure science. You know, he's always got like the really practical break it down to the cold hard facts way of looking at things. And then Beckett, you know, he's a doctor. Like, his job is to like you know, take care of things and heal things. And, and they, they have, in a kind of really unexpected way, I think they carry on that same kind of dynamic that we had uh, in SG-1 with Jack and Daniel, you know, kind of the, the heart and the, the logic going on. So. Yep, I completely. And of course there was, I know there was a big backlash when they recast Weir. Right, because she was, she actually showed up a couple of times on SG One, and then when they announced that she was going to be in Atlantis, you know, not only a completely different actress, but she just looks totally different. She doesn't look anything like the original actress. So I know there was some backlash there, but she really did a great job. Um, what was the actress's yeah, name? Yeah, Jessica Steen. Okay, yes, um, you know, just that. Yeah, real- I, I'm not sure. I- I don't know if I've ever heard why she didn't come back. I, I don't know if it was something in her contract or, I mean, I, I assume that they created the character to be part of Atlantis. So I'm not really sure why she yeah. didn't come back. If I think she, she was, or not. I think she was actually um, just a character that was just sort of incidental, like, um, you know, just so, somebody who's just supposed to show up once or twice. And when they liked the character, they said, well, let's make her one of the characters on Atlantis. And then so they went out and, and you know, found somebody who was looking for a long-term commitment instead of a, you know, one or two off episode. At least that's what I've read. Yeah. So. I think it is funny, though, that they made no, no comments about her change of appearance. You know, mm-hmm. no, oh, I like what you did with your hair. Right, like, like, oh, that. you like, quit dyeing your hair. You dyed it per- brown instead of blonde. <laughs> yeah, no, just. They, they certainly could have, but yeah. uh, that was uh, funny that they, they just chose to just, just go with it. Just go with it. And, you know, it works. <laughs> um, But, yeah. Uh, it's been now. It's been a little while since I've we've been watching a lot of SG One. It's been a little while since I've watched Atlantis, but um, they really did some really interesting things. You know, with the Wraith eventually. Um, it again is always that sort of that quest to how you know to connect with the very very different, and I feel like. Um, Atlantis really delved into that a lot, you know, especially later on as they were, you know, sort of starting to see the Wraith as not just the villain, but as also, you know, sentient beings with their own sort of context. 
Um, and of course the, the Wraith ships were just so cool. Like typically I'm not a big ship person, but like those sort of, that, that, that was definitely pretty awesome. Those, you know, big sort of like living, um, spaceships. There's definitely a lot of creativity. And so kudos to them because they did a great job with that. Well, like I said, you know, we could talk about Stargate for days and days. And at some point we might have to come back and do a part two to this. But before we run out of time, if we're looking at getting new Stargate, whatever form that takes, wherever it shows up, whether it be Netflix or Amazon or whoever picks it up, what are some things that you want to see them do? Well, I want a continuation of the of the series. Basically, I want again the the way that Atlantis was the successor to SG One. I want this to return to what was beloved about Stargate, even if it means kind of flying in the face of the way that stories are generally told. I, I'm going to moderate that note. It depends on how much they're willing to give us. If they're planning on going again for the the older traditional 22 episodes a season, um, they need to keep it episodic. They, they cannot do just one big old um, storyline. However, I think that what people might accept now is if they keep the, the tenor of the story you know, very similar, but they do more of a modern um, you know, nine, 10 episode a season type thing, you know, really high quality, um, with an overarching storyline, I think that that would be well received. But what I want to see is a re-emphasis on Earth. I want, you know, things things have changed a little bit, but I want to see the SGC. I want to have an end, or I, I want to know what happened to Destiny, what happened to Atlantis, and all of those kinds of things. But I want to return to Earth. I would like to see uh, General Samantha Carter as the leader of the SGC, um, and I, I'd like to, I, I think that that would be great to have a whole new cast for your, your SG one or whatever team you'd want to follow. Mm -hmm. But I think that it opens mm -hmm. up the possibility for plenty of guest actors from the original shows to be able to come back. Um, you know, you can, you can have Richard Dean Anderson pop in for a couple of cameos and make everybody really, really happy. But I think that if you, if you bring... Amanda Tapping back, especially if she'd be willing to do it, and she seemed pretty, yeah, pretty excited in the past. Yeah, I think that that would be a real touchstone for bringing in the original audience, but then also bringing in new fans as well. You know, I I think that I think that you're right, Jessica. I do like the idea of seeing something kind of SGC centric again. I mean, because you know, like other universes and galaxies are fun. But you start to become much more just general sci-fi and maybe not as much Stargate specifically. Um, so I, I don't want them to I don't want to see them bring the Ori back. I think we're good being done with that. <laughs> um, I mean, they're gone. <laughs> they're gone. Yeah. Um, but, but it's sci-fi, you know, like is anything ever really gone? in a world where, you know, <laughs> um, but I, I would like to see, I would like to see it become a little more exploration again. Um, destiny, you know, sort of got very, 
tied up in the sort of the drama and the what's going on on the ship. But I really do miss the sort of the explorer um, sort of feel that that Stargate really had originally. And I think that that really served it well. Um, and honestly, I would love to see one of my favorite things about Stargate was that they managed to sort of pull in mythology and history that is very tangible and sort of give it like a spin and a backstory. And so I would love to see more of that instead of like, here's this weird alien thing that doesn't have anything to do with anything, but let's go tell a story about it. I would love to see like, and here is, you know, background on some other kind of mythology, you know, um, African mythologies or, or, or Asian mythologies that really haven't been delved into, uh, really go delve into them and be like, oh, and here's this other weird thing, and here's the story behind it. That's what I, that I think that that's would mostly what I would like to see. Yeah, I agree. Again. I would like to see kind of a return to what the show was originally about. That being said, the early rumors. I don't know how much y'all followed the rumors coming out of some of the things Brad Wright has said is that what we may get initially is sort of... Because SG-1 kind of wrapped up, but Atlantis really just abruptly ended. And so did Universe. And there has been a lot of rumbling that what we're going to get is some of our Atlantis crew and some of our SG-1 crew setting out to rescue the Universe crew. I think that that's a great thing to include. The problem is, is that if you base that too heavily on the, if you base the premise too heavily on that, you're not drawing in new, new audience members. Right. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I see a lot of comments from people being like, why, why do another show just finish Atlantis? And it's like, okay, you got to look at this from a business point of view though. You have to be able to draw in the people that were originally fans but you must be able to appeal to new people. Absolutely. It will not survive up. Right. So what I, so I can't imagine that they would base the entire premise on, um, basically finishing Atlantis and Universe. But I definitely think that you know the the first season or whatnot, um, there would there would definitely be plots devoted to that. Yeah to be able to, to finish those off because they, they know how much that bothers people that mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. just left. Yeah, and I think that you can do that with maybe what they're out there searching for. And you go back to an SG-1 type show where they're out there exploring and searching, but what they're looking for is a way to bring them, to you know, to reach the universe crew. Mm -hmm. But that, that really does bother people the way that was left hanging. As far as a lot of that goes, I mean, the last we saw Atlantis is on Earth. Right. And would you ever like to see them explore the show in a world where the SGC has been revealed to the public? Hmm. That's really hard because, like I said, the whole reason I was drawn to the show in the first place is the mystery. That yeah. it could be happening right now. Yeah. Now, I know that originally... Um, you know, it was just so unfortunate 
that we were scheduled to get both an SG-1 movie that was um, tentatively titled Revolution, and right. we were going to get a, a DVD for Atlantis finishing up Season 5 as well. And neither of those happened because the DVD market just went under, and then MGM was having was was filing bankruptcy. Yep. Um, but I know that the premise of Revolution was going to be that the, the the program was revealed to the public, and I always really struggled with that because on one hand it opens up so many avenues for new storytelling, but I always just worried about that because you do lose it. You you lose the premise that it's actually happening. It starts to become a little bit more fantastical. And um, I, I think that if it was done well and really handled with care, um, I could, I, I'd be very interested to see what would happen. But I don't know if, I, if, if, uh, if the show would be able to have the same kind of mm-hmm. draw. Well, um, it suddenly becomes... Feel- it becomes an alternate universe as opposed to a, this could be really happening, you know, underground somewhere. Exactly. You know, as as opposed to sort of making a, a being believable as like this is really happening, you just don't know it. All of a sudden, it becomes like in an alternate universe. Then you know they all of a sudden all this happens. So yeah, it's definitely a different dynamic. That being said, I also think that you know how would people react if we get the next series and everything is still secret? I think that people would be like why aren't we seeing a big change after after leaving this series for over a decade? Uh, why don't we see a change in the way the program is run on Earth? You know, maybe it should be uh, revealed to the public. So I'm not really sure what they would do with that. I, I guess I would be interested in both options, but um, you definitely have to tread kind of carefully. Yeah. I, I do like the mystery of it. I think that there are interesting avenues that could be explored with opening it, opening it up and saying it's it's public knowledge now. But like you said, that takes away a big element of what Stargate SG-1 was about. You have to suspend a lot more disbelief. Right. Well, like you said, it, it suddenly it, it's like an alternate version of our world. It, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's no longer, it's no longer our world. Right. The, the moment that everybody's aware of, the stuff, but you know, at the same time, you kind of look at it from a strictly from a sci-fi storytelling point of view. Eventually, shouldn't these technologies? How do you go about using them for the betterment of of Earth without anybody finding out where the technology, where these huge advancements in technology are coming from? So, I do think there are some interesting ins and outs to that, but. I really just hope to see something that looks a lot more like the, you know, season six, seven, and eight of Stargate. Yeah. I, uh, How about this? I would propose, I would propose that uh, Stargate Continuum said that we were getting a moon base. Right. It might be fun to have it set on the moon base. Oh, yeah. So that, that would be still real have the fun. Connection, but it still could be... Uh, hidden from the public. Correct. That might right. be a nice uh, yeah. uh, compromise yeah. to uh, kind of go with the fantastical elements, but also still keep it plausible. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I had completely forgotten about that, but you're right. I mean, the dark side of the moon, there's all kinds of weird, I mean, not to mention like how many weird conspiracies can you pull out when you start dealing with the dark side of the moon? You know, all of a sudden you've got Kennedy assassination and, you know, conspiracies and heaven knows what else all coming out <laughs> whenever you start going talk about the moon. Right. So speaking of moving forward, like what would you like to see them do? I mean, obviously, if we're keeping it a secret, Atlantis can't stay parked in San Francisco. So I mean, I don't see that being a viable long-term solution. <laughs> <laughs> like giant city in the middle of San Francisco Bay, like somebody's going to notice. <laughs> I don't care how cloaked it is. <laughs> Eventually somebody's going to run into it. Yeah. I think that the premise would probably be getting Atlantis back to the Pegasus galaxy. It would be kind of uh, interesting. I really enjoyed the, the legacy series that uh, um, the authors related to Fandemonium put out, which was kind of a, a season six um, storyline. Um, I assume that if, you know, I assume that as soon as we get a new series, that would probably go the way of Legends and Star Wars, probably be, be canonized, if, yeah. if, if you can even call it canon right now. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I assume that Atlantis is going to, you know, they'd try to get that back to the Pegasus galaxy, try to get Destiny home. Um, just on a, a, a character slash, um, you know, relationship thing. I want them to confirm that Jack and Sam are together. That was going to be That's my next that... my next question. Like, do we believe that happened? Like, I don't think there's a Stargate fan out there that doesn't want to believe that happened, right? Well, it, they that's not that's not true historically. I think that that uh, now it's much more accepted. But uh, you know, I've been around. Even even I came in late, but I was around for the ship wars and things like <laughs> that. But it's it's a far friendlier um, uh, place now, especially for the Sam and Jack relationship. But I think that more and more we see um, uh, Amanda Tapping and Richard Dean Anderson make comments about it. Joe Malazzi, Brad Wright, um, Peter DeLuise, all of them have pretty much said. They're together. They've been together yeah. since Threads, and that's what we, you know, we we got little bits and pieces in seasons nine and ten, and season four of Atlantis. And um, so I, I would like to see that, you know, Sam's running the SGC, and Jack is probably retired and at home or you sitting know, maybe, on a pier. Uh, I hope he's sitting know, at his lake with no fish in it. <laughs> <laughs> there are no that, fish. Yeah, maybe with. I suppose with uh, the transporters now, it's not a big deal that. Well, I guess um, they're not. They're no longer in Colorado. I think that when we left the SGC, it was at the Pentagon. So that. Uh, but still, with a with a transporter yeah. being in Minnesota, and DC is not really that big of an issue. So. Yeah. Or he could have just I got him another my, cabin and lake with no fish. You yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah. My, my idea was I, w I would love to see um, Cassie Frazier as one of the main characters. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, it was pretty much in, in one of the deleted scenes in Ripple Effect in season nine, it was revealed that Sam basically um, took Cassie in after, after her mom died. And I think basically she and Jack you know, kind of adopt Cassie. They, they were always involved in her childhood. Right. 
Right. Um, so I would like to see, you know, maybe she, maybe she's got kids and that and that they hang out with Grandpa Jack in, during the day. And he's Cassie's. the grumpiest grandpa ever. Don't you just know it? <laughs> oh, he, he would be wonderful. And see, you know, maybe maybe not uh, wanting to spoil everything, but the reason why the Sam and Jack relationship was so important in my eyes. And what you see, you know, right through season eight, you know, just them sitting on the pier together is the fact that Jack was the man who lost his family. Mm -hmm. That was the premise. He was the, the man who had nothing to live for. And he finds his family and his team. But I think that it's also very important that he finds that family life again mm -hmm. with Sam. And so that, that was always my premise in terms, and, and, and like I said before, Sam also had really big problems with trusting in a romantic way as well. And so I think that like to confirm that, yes, they are together, they found that happily ever after, that's something that I think it's time. It's, it's been long enough. Just it's confirm been, it, please, the fans. How many years now? <laughs> a lot of years. Yeah. So we can you can just give it to us and be like yes, and people get to be happy even after they have drama. <laughs> Please don't make it. Don't don't. I just if don't let them go. Han and Leia in Force Awakens. Right. Just don't kill my ship. Right. Okay? Like why would you do that? And be like, and they crashed and burned. They crashed and burned, and everything that you thought you thought that they were going to be happily married. You were wrong. So please don't do that. Just let somebody have a happy ending. They they do happen, yeah. and we appreciate. Just them. not in Star Wars. Let it, let them happen somewhere Star else Wars. in sci-fi. Star Wars, there's not a single couple that has a happy ending. So. No, like all these people who are like you know you know like oh Ben Solo and and Ray and they need to he needs to come back to life. They need to have a future. It's like why do you think they would have a good future? Have you looked at Star Wars lately? Like. Not happy. <laughs> there's there's something in the water in, in the Star Wars galaxy. Yep. There's no couple that ever ends happily. <laughs> yes, so we want we want the anti Star Wars here in Star in Stargate. We want the happy ending. You just have to tell us that it happened. Like we just want it like uh, just a just a minute, like on film and be like it's official, it's a thing. <laughs> You know, it, it doesn't have to be a big deal. It, their relationship was never, it never overtook the show. No. I don't expect it to, to overtake the show. It doesn't have to. Right. Just let us know together. Get And I would like more glimpses into the characters' personal lives, which, like I said before, I didn't feel like we got enough of in SG-1. So just, you know, have her call him on the phone a couple of times. You know, mm -hmm. let her tell the people around what's going on with Cassie's family and those kinds of things. And then get right back to our regu regularly scheduled sci-fi plot. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Right. Definitely. Um, so did you actually, um, one thing that we haven't touched on at all was the, the origin series, the Stargate origin series a couple of years ago. Did you watch that at all? I did. I was, I, I was right in the thick of all of that with uh, Stargate Command, the, the platform, and uh, watching it come out. And um, yeah, no, people give it a lot of a lot of flack. Mm -hmm. It's unnecessary because people 
people need to appreciate what it was and not what they wanted it to be. I know a lot of people were like, it's so short. Why are the episodes only 10 minutes long? And it's like, well, they've never, they've never lied about what this show right. was going to be. It was going to be, they called it a mini series of 10, 10 minute episodes. Mm-hmm. That is the length of a DVD. So people were paying $20 to get access to the website with all of the episodes for streaming. Right. And you get access to it, a DVD length movie, which 10 years ago, you would have paid $20 to get from the store anyway. Right. But what people get, or, or maybe what people don't understand, and, and maybe you can even tell from me, I'm, I'm an actress. I'm constantly trying to think about um, decisions that are being made from a business point of view. What, what is the company trying to do? What is the purpose here? And the point was, was that Origins was, it, it, Origins was their way of determining what kind of interest still existed in a fandom that has been dormant for over a decade. Right. The point was to give some new content, and I thought that they did a wonderful job of of giving a little insight into a character that we've never really explored, Mm -hmm. but somebody who's still very important to the Stargate universe. But it was never going to be this great big series. It was a very small budget mm-hmm. with, with the purpose of determining is there enough interest out there to be able to de- devote more of a budget to a bigger series. Mm-hmm. And as we were listening to rumors, it sounds like it worked. So I'm very pleased with what came of it. I hope that we get a new series, but I, I do wish that people would appreciate Origins for what it was meant to be as opposed to getting upset about its inadequacies. Yeah, that's fair. I think the biggest thing was, in fact, we, we went to a Stargate panel at Dragon Con, right? As they were getting ready to launch all of this. And they just, it was, whenever they were announcing it, you know, like, and they're like, Oh, and this thing, it was, it was kind of, it felt a little like, it was a little hard to like, grab onto it. it it was like again you have to have this web there were like a lot of components to it that you had and um it's something that i think you had to be like really motivated to like track down and figure it out and um so it definitely wasn't a bring in new fans kind of project but um i, I also you know like i said I, enjoy, I enjoyed it for what it was um we haven't watched it with the kids yet but i think they'll really enjoy it when we get to it because you know it's a fun kind of character and, and side story. But uh, hopefully, like you said, hopefully it did what it was intended to do and kind of gauge, like, are people willing to check it out? You know, are people willing to invest a little bit of time and money into it? So, you know, here's hoping that uh, it did all the things that we hoped it would do. <laughs> Absolutely. Give us more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, more Stargate. We want more Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that's again. It, it's time. It's time to get something Stargate again. It, it just mm-hmm. so the sci-fi world is just missing that. Not just Stargate, but that entire type of show. It just doesn't exist right now. Mm-hmm. And just completely apart from it being Stargate, there's a real. Like, and we've talked about this a lot on, on this show, there's a real lack of sort of sci-fi you can watch with your kids. 
you know, and that's what Stargate Absolutely. has always been. I mean, even the new things, you know, Trek was always kind of one of those things you could do, but not lately. Like, I'm certainly not going to sit down and watch anything that Trek is doing right now with, with my kids, because it's just, it's not that kind of show. So hopefully, I think more than anything, I hope that we get another, we can all sit down and do this together kind of uh, offering in sci-fi, because I think that it's it's time. Yeah, I don't know really what's out there right now other than The Mandalorian. I would I would really recommend Lost in Space on Netflix. We actually did just fin- we watched that, and I probably will go back and watch that with the kids. Yeah, excellent. And we may uh, I, we should do that sometime. We should do that as a, a topic. Yes, please, and have me back because I yes, have many. Yes, absolutely, thoughts. absolutely. Yeah. Yes. No, that was that was something when I got into Lost in Space. I thought wonderful. Netflix is actually recognizing that you can still tell great stories. But uh, market it to all you know, families, all ages, very similar to what they did with, uh, you know, Clone Wars and mm-hmm. other elements of Star mm-hmm. Wars to really reinvigorate the franchise. You do not need to have something that's rated M in order to appeal to an audience. Absolutely. Right. Here, here, people in, in Hollywood, are you listening? <laughs> this is important. Absolutely. All right. Well, did anybody have any final comments about Stargate before we wrap up? I think I've said about all I have to say today. <laughs> all right. Well, we covered it. Yeah. All right. Well, that was, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, Marisha, tell everybody where they can find you online. All right. You can find me. My website is princessesandpadawans.com. Um, I've got some tutorials and not much lately because I've been mostly useless for the entire quarantine. Um, but I've also got an Instagram where you can see pictures of my adorable Padawans and their adorable costumes. I am princesses underscore and underscore Padawans on Instagram and I am P Padawans on Twitter. All right. And Jessica, tell everybody again, one, where they can find you and second, where to find your new podcast. Well, um, pretty easy. We're kind of just working off of one um, platform right now. So at Dark Saber Light is where you can find us on Twitter. And then that will give you links to the podcast, which, uh, you know, you can find both links to Anchor and Spotify and a couple of other um, uh, listening sites. Um, And we're hoping to expand in the future to do some clips on YouTube as well. So uh, we're going to see where it goes. Awesome. Well, uh, looking forward to checking that out. So you can find our Twitter account at Sci underscore Fictionary. You can find us. You can drop us a line at thescienceFictionary at gmail.com. You can find us at thescienceFictionary.com. As always, we encourage you to check out our podcast as well as the rest of the Red 5 podcast family at Red5Network.com or at Red5Network on Twitter. And until next time... Chevron 7, locked.